It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on into The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us every month here on The Mom Show. We have reoccurring guests that come back and we talk about the state of women in Utah. That is what this series is called. And joining me, of course, my reoccurring guests who are Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick of the Policy Project. Ladies, thank you for being here today. Susan, it's a big day for you because this week we had uh, your new research come out about how... Utah women were impacted by the pandemic. And you're doing a series of briefs that you're releasing kind of different topics of research. And you have, I think this is number four of six. So you have a lot of data on what Utah women experienced during the pandemic. But this one I found particularly interesting because it talked about that a struggle that we all face between at-home life and life in the office and balancing all that. So just if I just ask you broadly, what did this research find? Talk to me about what you've learned so far about Utah's women during the pandemic. Well, this one was a really important one to put together because we have done this, like like you said, this number four, and this is a qualitative one, but oftentimes qualitative research are like 10 people or whatever, but we have thousands of women who actually gave us their opinions, their stories um, on a Qualtrics survey that we went through and really put together the themes. And, and we had like five or six coders because we don't just grab it. We actually have the themes emerge. And of course, so many, you know, with the thousands of women, we got so many themes, but the ones that emerged from the top, the first main category, like what are the main impacts on working women? And the first one, I, I, I won't even, I'll just mention what it is. The struggle to juggle. We know that. Mm. We know women struggle to juggle. But but the second one, I think, would be great for Emily and you to pitch in on. And the second one we found that was so popular, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand women said, is guilt. Mm. Guilt. Mm. So, Here they are, you know, women struggle with guilt anyway, if they do, actually women stay at home moms struggle with guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Am I doing it good enough? Did I yell too much at my kids today? Did I do this? Did I do this? And then there's an extended guilt sometimes with, um, with maybe not even extended because I've talked to women that that are stay at home, and then they have some mental health struggles, they have depression, so then they feel guilt for having depression. Anyway, a different kind of stress or guilt, though, is women who work. So most women who work have some kind of guilt. Am I doing the kids well enough? Am I doing my home responsibilities? And do I do justice? Because I'm seeing women that don't have kids doing it a certain way, or I'm seeing these men who do have kids, but they have someone at home to do it. So this guilt is so, it was so pronounced in this research, uh, Lindsay. And and it always makes me kind of sad yeah. because we do negative things with guilt. It actually makes us more stressed. Our body reacts, our physical, physical body reacts to stress. Yeah. And, and it's just not helpful sometimes. If it doesn't lead us to do something better, 
which maybe, Lindsay, maybe all the guilt you feel leads you to do something <laughs> better. Well, listen, I don't know. I, I want to make two points about this. First of all, I don't think dads who work feel as much guilt as moms who work. And that's a function of socialization. But if we're going to consider ourselves equal in genders, right? Let's talk about how my husband's away from the kids more hours a day than I'm away from the kids. Why do I feel the guilt that I'm away from the kids and he doesn't? Like It's true. Right? Mm-hmm. And I often maintain that he's ever, never had to fight against what society is quote unquote telling you you're supposed to do, right? And so he's never had that internal battle because he's fulfilling his quote unquote role. Again, these are all just perceived um, gender roles that we think have to happen, Right. So there's that aspect. But also, I had a guest on last week who really changed my perspective on this. And I've actually been feeling a lot less mom guilt this week after talking with uh, Freckled Hand last week. So I'd invite you to go back and, and podcast this episode, that episode. But basically, she taught me to separate the tasks of motherhood with motherhood being a relationship, right? So my relationship with my children is what defines motherhood. The changing the diapers, the getting the milk, the managing the emotions, the meltdowns, those are all the tasks of motherhood. And I have really been looking throughout my life this week on what are the tasks that I hate and what are like, I don't hate my children. I hate the tasks. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And so it's really separated that for me to where I'm just like, yeah, OK, of course I hate changing diapers or of course I hate you know, this 18th meltdown of the day because it's taxing. And and I've been able to give myself a lot more grace in that regard because for so long I just made it mean that, like, I must not be cut out for this. I must not be – I don't love motherhood mm. because I, I just, like, I find it so hard. And while I still find those tasks challenging, there are a lot of things in my life that I don't like that I do, right? Because you right. just do some things even when you don't like it. And that's part of caring for my kids that I just do. But my relationship with them is what I judge motherhood on. And there are ways in which oh, I can wow. work on that relationship with my children. That's not, I'm with them 24 seven. Emily, you yeah. don't want to chime in? Yeah. I mean, this is, it's kind of interesting and I'm going to give you an insanely personal anecdote here, but I grew up with a mother who had a brain tumor and was bedridden, like all during my early youth. And um, it was, I mean, there were a lot of, it was tough, right? I mean, there's nothing easy about that when you need to be cared for. And I had three younger siblings and one older sibling. And so there was just a lot. But when you break that down and say, you know, we're talking about relationship and tasks as two separate buckets, she didn't really have the ability to fill guilt or anything. You know, there were, she had some pretty serious um, brain damage from her surgeries. But I, I, when I look at that, I think she fulfilled exactly zero of the tasks. Right. For me. Right. Right. Like that. um, Exactly zero. Um, But at the same time, if there was ever a bad day, I don't even know that she had the right words to say, but she was physically present and I would be able, and my siblings have the same memory, um, be able to go into her room lay on her bed next to her and she would kind of scratch her back. And for whatever reason, you just knew she believed in you. Oh my gosh. And I I know that that is a really kind of a dramatic, um, um, way to talk about guilt, but, but to your point about being able to separate those things, my mother was still my mother to me. She performed no tasks. Um, but, but did love me fully. She didn't take you to soccer. No. Oh gosh, no. There was no soccer in our home. You know, nothing like that. And so I think, um, when we're talking about this and, and talking about the guilt, because I feel it so deeply and so thoroughly as well. I'm right there with these women in the survey. Um, I, I think 
that is a good reminder to, to look at their relationship and, and put more value on that. Yeah, so important. Emily Bell McCormick with The Policy Project. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project. Uh, talking about some research that Susan has and has done on uh, the state of women in Utah. We'll take a break. More with these two when we come back on The Mom Show. You joined The Mom Show. Being a mom can be tough sometimes. We try to make it easier. Here's Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us. Our monthly segment called The State of Women in Utah, back again in July. And we're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick, who runs a policy project and advocacy group here in Utah. And Dr. Madsen, you've done some research and you've released uh, this week some more statistics on uh, how Utah women fared during the pandemic. And when I say fared, I just mean what the pandemic has done to them, for them, how it's uh, shifted uh, childcare, how it is uh, put them in balancing home and work life. And so you you have like data on how Utah women have been impacted by the pandemic. And we talked last segment that one of your main findings that w- was nearly half of Utah women who responded to your survey, and I think it was over 2,500 women who responded to your survey, said they were feeling guilt that they weren't balancing work and family well and that's a staggering number to me because i'm right there in that camp too i think we all like we all of us feel this way in some regard and i wish we wouldn't but it's just a function of like being humans and wanting to be better humans so i understand where it comes from but talk to me about some of the other findings that uh your research shows so this particular brief as i said before really focuses on quote caregiving responsibilities. So it really focused on people, mostly parents and mothers, but some guardians and grandmothers, but who care for children. Yet it has another piece that we can talk about if there's time on on other kinds of caregiving responsibilities like elder care. But related to this show, I think, you know, we've talked about this before in other episodes, the, the difference between partners, right? Men and women specifically, but partners in general. And what I found surprising, because we know from the pandemic, we know this is an issue before the pandemic, childcare is an issue, caregiving responsibilities before the pandemic, the pandemic has highlighted these. But in our particular study, we looked at, you know, hundreds of working mothers in our sample and asked them about support levels of their partners. So most of them were spouses. And I was thinking, you know, we've looked at research that says men are stepping up some. But in our sample, about 24% said that their spouses were supportive in caregiving responsibilities, and 76% said they were not. Mm. That surprised me because I was thinking it may have been like 30, 40% were more supportive. Maybe the rest were not. I I thought it was going to be higher. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in terms of caregiving specifically. Yeah. Well, um, this is an interesting number because I wonder if it matters how you define supportive. Right. Because sometimes I feel my spouse is 100 percent supportive in that he wants me to achieve whatever I want to achieve. But when it comes down to the logistics of our family, sometimes the support I need shows up in, I need you to help me figure out where the childcare is coming from, and I tend to take on that task all myself. And And that's what it related to more, because it was very specific. So we had 
we had coders and our coders really looked for caregiving. So the support for caregiving specifically, not just support, yay, yay, Lindsay or Emily, you can do this, but actual caregiving. Mm. And so it, it, it could have been, you know, children or elder care or whatever. But what we continue to know is that women, especially in Utah, but women every place really do, even if they're working full time take on the brunt of the caregiving responsibility. Yeah. And so do you see this more as a function of women need to ask for more help or do you see it as a function of men need to step up and recognize where the caregiving opportunities show up in their individual families or both? Well, I, I'll comment and then Emily will get Emily in. <laughs> but generally speaking, I think I think there's responsibility on both sides. And we saw that in some of the women sometimes play that game where if he really loved me, he would just know what I want for my <laughs> birthday. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, but, but what we know from the quote, partnership research, which Dr. Julie Hanks is really good. She's published a lot on that partnership. There's some other publications, is that there are real life conversations that need to be had. And and often people, couples don't know, oftentimes couples don't know to have those. So women, we need to be more clear. Say, I'm working time. You know, this is what I need from you. Can you do this? You know, really all of that management with caregiving. But you know, we hope that men will start looking a little bit more. So don't you think it's both? Don't? Yeah, yeah, I, d- I definitely do think it's both. And Emily Bell McCormick from The Policy Project, your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I think it most likely is a combination of both. I think what happens to us as women, you know, we're coming off of this conversation about guilt and we we feel the ownership of everything. We have this incredible capacity to notice everything that needs to be done and to feel it. And I think um once in a while it's this it's this whole thing where we're used to you know as women looking at kids and having them say you know okay this bathroom needs to be cleaned do i really want to take the time to teach you how to clean that toilet mm. or do i just want to do it myself cuz it will take me 12 seconds right, you know right. <laughs> and i think sometimes with our spouses we we will do that i know i do that sometimes where it's like this just isn't even worth it if i have to make a list for one more person you you've now become my sixth child right. and i can't you know i can't handle this so i do think that there needs to be more awareness on there and and the conversations i think by the time we're actually talking to our spouse we're usually so frustrated because we're so overwhelmed and feeling so much pressure and so much weight that we're not probably very good communicators on what needs to be done it becomes more about gosh this feels like it's all on me and i can't handle it and they're left thinking i don't really know how to help you so yeah just go ahead yeah i definitely understand that point um and susan do we do we know any more about like do does it play into this uh, conversation about um, the spousal support when one spouse makes one spouse's job outside the home makes the income for the family, yeah. and that spouse's job tends to take priority Absolutely. because it pays the bills, and you have Absolutely. to. Absolutely, and I struggle with that sometimes because I only work part time. But my job is very important to me and requires my full attention and I can't have an off day on the news, right? Or hosting this show like I'm having today. So it's one (laughs) of those things where I'm like, I want my job to be equal to yours, but it isn't always because you make more money than I do. 
It, it's so true. I mean, the economic um, and the financial, That's there's a whole studies around that. And especially how things change for mothers when they even start making money. So there is a confidence, something happens to mothers when they even start. And they have a little more, you know, it's self less self-sacrificing for everything, but we still do that. I did that when I was working part-time and mine are, my youngest just turned 20. Well, this month it turns 26 and my oldest is 34 and I have a couple grandkids, but I'll tell you every phase we're in is different. That's constant con- communication is important for me. I don't have kids during the pandemic. I didn't have kids. It's been rough on me in a lot of ways because I'm stuck here and, mm-hmm. you know, and that, mm-hmm. But I'll I'll tell you, my husband's support has changed through the years and Mm -hmm. we don't have the caregiving like normal. And my gosh, he he started complaining one day and I said, now you know how I felt during the years. (laughs) He he really does probably 60% of home stuff and at least maybe even 65, I'll give him that. And I do less and I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Let's be honest about how much dishes I actually do because it's not. My husband last night was like, I need to get these dishes done. And I was like, all right. Cool. Great. Have a good time. (laughs) I did put a baby to bed, but it's fine. All right. uh, We're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. It's the state of women in Utah. We'll take a break. More in just a minute. It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. (laughs) And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you podcast, I'd invite you to go podcast this whole episode and our monthly episodes of The State of Women in Utah, joined by Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And Emily Bell McCormick with The Policy Project. We do this, uh, we get together once a month. And I love these episodes, you guys. They're always so in-depth and so uh, spot on with what women in Utah are dealing with. So, Dr. Madsen, this week you came out with research talking about how women have been um, impacted by the pandemic. And some of the interesting findings that you found in this latest uh, batch of research just talks about how Working mothers feeling so much guilt trying to balance home and working life, which already existed, but was probably exponentially increased by the pandemic. Right. And we also talked about the spousal support. And you said an overwhelming majority of Utah women felt like they did not have spousal support, even though they have a spouse. And that's really really hard. You cannot do this job alone. It takes three people to care for two children in my house. I don't know about yours, but I'm privileged enough to have a nanny that helps me. And there is just no way I could do the things I do without her. So uh, Dr. Madsen, talk to us again about more findings of how Utah women uh, dealt with this pandemic. Well, I I have two other ones I'd like to get to, but one, you just gave a fabulous lead into one because sometimes we think, so the three of us are white women Mm -hmm. and the three of us are people who have spouses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we did a big section and we had many, many single mothers and women of color, but I'm I'm talking more about single women in this section. Um, But we're assuming that, 
kind of sometimes in our conversations that everybody is like us and there's yeah. lots of people that are similar to us. Yeah. But we really focused one of our sections and some of our data on women. Can you imagine just trying to do what we're doing and not having a partner or spouse in the home? And what we found was this is so, I mean, there's more stress, there's more burnout, there's more, so many, so many things. One of the women in our study said, I'm a single mom with two young school-aged kids. It's incredibly difficult to balance work and family demands at least once or twice a week. I feel like I just can't do it both anymore. Yeah, It's not just an option for me. I love my kids. You know, work is not just an option for me. Right. I love my kids and I love my job and I move forward the best I can, but I feel burned out for, for, I've been feeling it for a long time. And I feel like my sleep and mental health have suffered, have more anxiety. I often feel myself feeling like there's just too much for one person. I can sympathize with women who have quit. I would have if I could have. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like we need to bring that perspective in yeah. and, and many probably low income women who are single or different things probably don't listen to your show, but I still think we need to have that perception. So absolutely. Uh, or, or not have that perception, but just think about other people in different situations. Yeah, than absolutely. Ourselves. Emily. Yeah. I was just going to add to that, you know, when you consider that and we, um, it's just a whole different level of stress that I feel grateful to not have experienced firsthand. But when you look at that, often in those situations, they're also not just lacking a spouse or immediate support. You know, some of the families that I am, you know, some of my friends are women who have immigrated here. They don't have extended family. They don't have um, a network with a church community or a, you know, they're not strong in the school community because they also can't go to the parent teacher conferences or can't be a part of that. And so they're really feeling alone out there, you know, and having several discussions. And um, we live in a, a, a school district that did not go back to in-person school for about, well, it was ended up being a full calendar year. And we have a high poverty level in the school district. And in interviewing some of those women and talking to them about their experience, I mean, the level, it, it's not, it was nothing short of desperation. Yeah. It was just like, man, this isn't sustainable on a good day. And so throw a pandemic on top of it, put those kids at home. And it just, it, it just made it. So there also, a lot of them were not in work that was overly fulfilling. So I know that a uh, story that Dr. Madsen just read, you know, she says she loves her job. I think a lot of women in that position don't love, you know, right. they're just trying to pay the bills. Yeah. They're getting through the day and working at Walmart. Right? You know, a friend of mine works at Walmart and it was just like, she's scared to death. She's going to get COVID and then she's going home and caring for three boys. And it was just a lot. It's well, a lot. And I was going to just add too. I think the pandemic, we talk about this often, you can see the divide in our uh, systems, if you will, when you see who's been disproportionately affected by COVID. Right. People on the front lines, people who work in fast food, people who work at Walmart, you know, right. I'm not saying that there's stats on people who work at Walmart got more COVID, but like people sure. in those lower socioeconomic groups were disproportionately affected by COVID because of the nature of their jobs. And that's alarming as well. Yeah. In those things, one of the things I found interesting in Dr. Madsen's study was just that the women or workers at um, 
at caregiving places, you know, at daycares and such. And Dr. Madsen, please correct me if I'm saying this incorrectly, but they didn't, they felt a little bit burned that they weren't considered essential or um, essential workers, yeah, right? You know, yeah. they had to. And I think about that and it, we gave a lot of credit to doctors. I had a lot of neighbors and it was really sweet, you know, who had signs like thanks to the frontline workers. There were billboards along I-15, you know, saying thanks with a picture of a doctor. Thanks for doing this. And I think what we didn't see was a picture of the person who cleaned up the trash, the, you know, the medical gown that the doctor threw in the garbage. And, and those are the people that really, you know, especially the women. And one of the things, you know, we watched legislation pretty closely here in the state and we, we did some good things legislatively this last year, but really just generally and actually nationwide, we did not support the women with legislation in a very right. healthy way. Yeah. It was a little bit discouraging to see that that was generally the group of Americans who probably struggled, struggled the most were low income women. And then to see that we didn't have good policy fixes for it, you know, and there's a reason for that. The pandemic caught us off guard. None of us have lived through a pandemic before. We didn't know exactly what the outcome would be. All, there are 9 million reasons, but the reality is we've got to do better. We have got to do better for the well, women, especially low income women. Talking about those policy decisions, it makes me so confused to think about people who claim so much that family is the most important function of this society. Society, and then we don't have policies set up to support families. Right, right, and 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 it is. I mean, it's a, it's a blind spot a lot of times with policymakers. And again, we've talked about this before, but part of that is because the many policymakers, especially in our state, are male, and so they're maybe not seeing those things and, and not seeing the solutions. That's why we need women's voices present in those well, conversations. Well, yeah, and I kind of, this kind of transmissions me into another conversation I sort of wanted to bring up on top of the policy uh, changes that. We we think could happen to impact women more significantly. Is there also a responsibility to businesses to make more family for family friendly policies um, in order to make life easier for their workers? I just wish we could shift our culture mindset here in America, where if we make home life easier for people, they will be more productive workers, and that means right. everything from like childcare to. The amount of hours you work in a day, right? Like mm -hmm. how how much did we see women in particular love the flexibility of being able to work from home and care for their kids in ways on top of, you know, the feeling of the burnout because they were in charge of so many more things. But businesses started understanding that this was the nature of the situation we were in in the pandemic, right? And so they right. had to be flexible. And like now we're going to just go back to everyone's back in the office and you got to work eight hours every single day and – like I, I, at what point? I don't think it's going to come back to that, Lindsay. Um, I, I do want to say that um, that we did another study that was published in December, specifically on this exact topic. Like, what are the what we, what we did is looked at the top 100 best places to work in Utah according to all of the lists, mm -hmm. and what were the flexibility and family friendly policies that they implemented. And what's interesting is the statistics comparing those to then our COVID study with mm. women on what their companies did yeah. was really striking and different. So basically, we have a whole list of things in that brief, including flexibility. Um, but I, I don't remember if I've said this before in, in on one of our episodes, but when I moved to Utah, I think it's almost been 20 years ago, I had just finished a dissertation on family-friendly practices and, and work life. 
in Minnesota, top mm. state for this kinds of things, came to Utah. We were 15 years at least behind on flexibility and all of these things. Yet the pandemic has shifted us forward to help our companies and our leaders of our companies understand, wait, maybe you can work at home and still be productive. Uh Maybe you can do. And so, you know, it's not ideal to work at home and take care of a two-year-old and a three-year-old at the same time, but we can, there's benefits with us working at home, having the support we need to take care of those young kids, um, and and really being productive. So we do have some good research, Lindsay, is what I'm saying on this topic. And we are, I, Emily and I are both involved in public policy and yeah. so, in so many conversations about these issues. Well, so Utah all... might, might be moving forward, I hope, the next <laughs> session. I hope you're right, Susan. We all talk about how the birth rate's declining. And my theory is the birth rate is declining because we make it so hard for women to have children and go to work. Like, I'm sure it's multifactorial. That's not the only reason, yeah. but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you made it a little easier, maybe we could have more children. Like, I know that's been a real concern for me. So I appreciate all of your thoughts on this. And we kind of went a billion different directions, but that's okay, because this is such a fabulous discussion. Dr. Susan Matson with the Utah Women in Leadership Project, Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We'll take a break. One more segment with these lovely ladies when we come back on The Mom Show. Back inside The Mom Show. Dads are welcome, but moms come here to be heard. We're with Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, two guests who join me every single month Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We call this our State of Women in Utah series. And we've been talking this show about uh, new research that Dr. Madsen and the Utah Women in Leadership Project did that talks about how Utah women have been impacted by the pandemic. And we know that they have felt increased guilt for the balance that they don't perceive that they have around working and um, taking care of home responsibilities. We've also talked about how that impacts single women way more than women who don't have uh, or women who do have spouses. We've talked about spousal support and many women in Utah feeling like they don't have spousal support despite having a spouse. And so now, Dr. Matson, talk to us about some of the other research uh, that you think uh, has impacted women with the pandemic. Well, there are two other quick things, but one one is I, I just want to pull up uh, something that Emily already brought up. And then, then if we have time, let's talk about grandmothers because there's a lot of grandmothers yes. doing this. We call, we call yes. say moms, but there's grandmothers doing this. So first though, I was, it was so striking that we really had 70, that doesn't sound like a lot, but 70 women who were, who are childcare providers, either bosses of childcare facilities, but in nearly every case, if not every one of the 70, really gave us their heartfelt, I mean, they were have been really struggling during the pandemic, trying to make ends meet, but also feeling like they're not respected. Mm. And um, they didn't get the they weren't on the list for early vaccinations. Mm. It was like, but they were supporting the child, the healthcare workers, Mm. and they were there. So I, I just think this whole thing came across too of this really, you know, there's babysitting and then there's real child care. And those really, just getting a teenager to babysit your kids and play with them is one thing. Okay, maybe that's work. But real good caregiving, child care is not that simple. Those quality child care, it's about early 
childhood development. It's about really, it's not just babysitting. And we have many, many, many women and some men too, that really have, they have some of them advanced degrees in early childhood development and all of these kinds of things, but they get shunned because they're, they're, they're not as important because they're just doing kid sitting or whatever. Yeah. But I, mean, I guess my point with that is that we need to think more deeply about this because those years between zero and kindergarten have been shown to, to impact the rest of your life. And I guess I'll pose this question to you both. Why don't we value child care? Why don't we value caretakers in our society? Well, I, I mean, I'll jump on that one. I think that this is, you know, women and unpaid labor, right? I, we've traditionally been in unpaid labor and we just, we do this with women constantly. You know, the fields that women are in and the expectations we put on women, um, it is... It's actually kind of fascinating to watch. And if you start noticing, you know, I was talking to a sister-in-law who was offered this big position with Primary Children's Hospital, great hospital. Um, and But it was a volunteer position. And it made me laugh because I thought, man, that's 45 hours a week. That is, um, you know, you're dealing with heads of companies. You're dealing with a bunch of fundraising, all these things. And, it, and it's volunteer. You know, I, I just think... We wouldn't often see men in that position. So I think, you know, what it comes down to is we've never put a lot of value in these traditionally female careers. Mm. Teaching, I mean, our teachers don't get paid well. You know, we have a lot of um, those fields that just don't get paid when in reality they're kind of our most important things, right? Learning children, passing, you know, information on to the next generation Mm -hmm. or health or those kinds of things are just so, so important. So I think they just go, they get very much forgotten. Yeah. And the pandemic has just highlighted all of that, Mm -hmm. that what you're, the point you're making, Emily, Dr. Madsen, your thoughts here. Yeah, I was going to just jump in because one thing that we're seeing that's that's really changing and, and improving, well, it's not improving yet, but we've got some more support, <laughs> is um, really thinking, helping businesses think about things. And I want to give a shout out to our my new our new um, associate director, Maren Christensen, who is actually the lead author on this study. Um, and she has been, she was a co-founder of what's called UUC3, which is a a nonprofit that really helps businesses think about how do we, what are the kinds of things from from doing nothing to building a whole childcare facility, right? And then there's so many things in between. But I think a lot of times we have this mentality that it's all or nothing as company leaders that, and they don't even want to talk about it in the middle. I think we talked about this sometimes, but but um, in another episode. But Marin has done a lot of work around this, and I the the great thing is there's some conversations going. We need to definitely get some public policies passed and and presented and past in the next session so that Utah really can be even more than it is a place where people from all over will want to come and work and we'll get women leaders here and develop women leaders that feel like they have the support from their companies, from their communities 
to be good moms, be good workers, whatever, Lindsay, you're working part-time, that's great. I worked part-time, Whether whatever choices we decide to make, let's have support to help us really contribute in meaningful ways. Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. Emily Bell McCormick is with the Policy Project. And every month we do a segment called The State of Women in Utah. Ladies, thank you so much for all of your insights today, your facts and figures and your opinions. I so appreciate it. Uh, wherever you podcast, you can search for the KSL Mom Show. And we'll be back next week 